0: Hi, and welcome back to Good Distinctions, where good distinctions are the spice of life. My name is Will Wright. I'm your host, and I'm here joined by Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers. Very, very excited to have you on. Deacon, welcome. Thanks, Will. It's uh, great to be with you. So you wrote a book recently for Ignatius Press uh, entitled Building a Civilization of Love, a Catholic Response to Racism. Um, which I know last time we were together, you, you had said you were writing it. I was so excited about this book. It's been a couple of years in the making. Uh, it's a very timely book, a very important book. Uh, I, I read it. I absolutely love it. Everyone out there, go buy it, read it, give it to your friends, um, Catholic or not. I mean, there, there's some really, really good stuff in here. Um, just as, in terms of an overview of the book, just so people know sort of what we're looking at. You start off in the first chapter. And I plan on just kind of walking through bits and pieces of it. So in chapter one, you talk about the difference between prejudice and racism. And I mean, we're good distinctions. This is what we're about. And this was a great distinction right off the bat. So in your mind, and kind of, I know you lay this out in the book, but what's the difference between prejudice and racism? And why do you think the terminology matters? And then kind of second part of that question, you talk about language and you talk about language in terms of. Like you prefer using people of color. Uh, you identify as a black man rather than saying African-American. So I'd love you to speak to that as well.
1: Yeah, sure. So if, if I could, Will, if I could just talk about a little bit about why I wrote the book. Yeah, And, and how, how that came about. So um, during the pandemic, uh, I couldn't travel. I usually travel about 250,000 miles a year and I couldn't go anywhere. And so mm-hmm. I said, well, you know, there are two things that are on my heart that I wanted to write about. One of them was the diaconate because at that time I was approaching 20 years of ordained ministry. And so I wanted to do a reflection on the service ministry of the deacon. And so I, that was my, the first book that I wrote. Um, uh, and, and then I also want to talk about this race issue because obviously um, the pandemic was a time when the whole George Floyd and, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, a number of issues between police officers and, um <clears throat> people of color were occurring and so as I was um following the dialogue I saw that there was really a lot of uh polemics a lot of triumphalism a lot of posturing a lot mm-hmm. of attacking but there was really nothing there that talked about reconciliation healing getting to the root of what this is really about and then um and then truly dealing with it and I thought that the Catholic church was perfectly positioned to deal with this issue because let's be real. Well, always comes from behind when it Mm -hmm. comes to important issues in the culture. Um, and I think that's because the bishops in the United States are still reeling from the sex abuse scandal. So, uh, I believe they, they feel they have no more credit moral credibility when it comes to issues like this. So, um, Instead of talking about and addressing this issue in a, in a firm and direct way, you know, I think the ep- the emphasis in the church has been on uh, uh, migrants and immigrants and Mother Earth and stuff like that. I mean, no, I'm an immigrant, right? So those are important issues. Mm-hmm. But no one's leaving the church over the Earth or <laughs> migrants or immigrants. They're leaving because they don't know Jesus Christ. They don't Amen. know Him deeply, yeah. personally, and intimately. And so I thought the Catholic Church's position, you know, not from the hierarchical perspective, but from the grassroots, from the parish level, to be able to dig into this issue and start to really break down the wall of racial division, uh, starting with ourselves, within ourselves, then within the church, and then within the culture. And so I wrote the book kind of to, to, um, to give an overview of what this issue is really about, and then uh, come up with some solutions that... I think they're not difficult, but it's going to take work and effort to enter into another person's experience, um, to empathize with them, and to, and to help uh, move the uh, healing and, and r- racial reconciliation forward.
0: Hmm. So, well, and I think a large part of that would be language, right? If people yes. aren't speaking the same language, then they're not going to be able to have that conversation. If you could speak to the that distinction between distinction, prejudice yes. and racism.
1: Exactly. So what's what's happening, uh, what's happened is that those terms have become conflated. Mm-hmm. So when someone says something, the immediate emotional response is that's racist, that's racist. Well, well hold on. Hold on. Uh, <laughs> we have to make a distinction between racism and prejudice because they're not the same thing. So in the book, what I do is I say prejudice as um, it's related to race is a preconceived mm-hmm. notion about someone. Uh, that's not based on any um, factual or objective experience. And and that kind of thinking leads to stereotyping. Whereas mm-hmm. racism is prejudice, as I just defined it, um, with the added piece that the reason why I believe this is that my race is superior to your race. And that's mm-hmm. racism. So let me give an example. Uh, I mentioned in the book that at a parish mission Several years ago, someone came up to me and, and uh, cause they, they found out I went to Notre Dame for my undergraduate degree and yeah. he said, Oh, you went to Notre Dame. What position did you play? Mm-hmm. So, so the, so someone hearing that statement say that was racist. That was racist. He just assumed he played football cause he was black. And that wasn't racist. It was prejudice. Now, why? Now, if it, when he when he saw me, I could see the calculus in his mind. He sees me. He looks at the, my size, and he said, "Okay, large man plus Notre Dame equals football." You know that that was <laughs> that was what was yeah. going on in his head. So if and now if that statement was racist, he would have have to have meant when he said it. The reason why I just said that to you is I believe that people that look like you are not intelligent enough to get into one of the best academic institutions in the United States. Therefore, uh, people of color uh, can only get into an an institution of that caliber through athletics. Hmm. That would have been racist. But that's not what he meant, because when he found out that I actually never played football in my life, that uh, I actually uh, had an academic scholarship, then he went, oh! Oh! Oh, okay. Oh, Deacon, sorry. You know, he was apologetic and kind of backpedaling and that kind of thing. So what, he, what should have happened, we said, oh, you went to Notre Dame. What did you study? Because that's what mm-hmm. he would have asked anybody else. See, so that uh, that's the distinction I make between prejudice and race. Because we all have prejudice attitudes. I mean, we're sure. all prejudiced. Yeah. Like When I first started traveling to the South, Southern United States, I thought, well, mm-hmm. everybody down here eats shrimp and grits. Because I'd always believed I don't
0: know. I mean, well, it, it, I gotta yeah. tell you, I'm from North Carolina. I read that in the book, and I thought, but I do love sh- shrimp and grits. Yeah. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's true. I mean, there are people in the south because I just thought everybody in the southeast shrimp and grits, but then yeah. I found out that some people don't like it. I'm like, oh wait a minute, what you know? And so, so you start thinking, well, where did that come from? You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and we so because we're not innately racist. We're not born racist anecdotally think of little kids on a playground right they're four years old five years old six years old they're just playing and having fun and you know they don't care about color um they just having they're just having fun but what happens over time they uh with movies and television shows and social media and jokes from their friends and Maybe uh, they overhear a conversation with an adult member of their family or something like that. And they and these prejudices start to uh, become learned behavior. So we learn uh, these attitudes of racism and prejudice. So my contention is if you can learn something, you can unlearn it, right?
0: Hmm. So, yeah, so we have
1: to become aware of the prejudices and even maybe even racist attitudes within ourselves. Do not be afraid to confront them so we and, and let the healing power of Jesus Christ uh, come into our lives to bring that reconciliation with his incredible love and divine mercy so that in turn we could become vehicles of mercy for others by entering into their experience and, and sharing our faith in a vibrant and dynamic way, especially when it comes to the issue of race.
0: Well, and it's an issue which a lot of people find very uncomfortable to talk about. And there's a lot of different reasons for that, but... I mean, I think uh, you you in the book, you bring up three things in particular. You bring up critical race theory, liberation theology, and the Black Lives Matter movement. And we'll get to that in a second. But I mean, these are these are I don't want to say, well, they are controversial issues. But the reason they're controversial is people have very strong feelings about them. I mean, these are things that elicit uh, the sort of response that like if you go to a family gathering, you don't talk about what religion, politics and. I can't remember the third one, but you get the point. Like there's certain things that people don't want to engage with, which I think you and I might be different. We'd be like, let's get into it. Let's go. But most people, they kind of get squeamish. Even the guy that you were talking about who assumed you went to Notre Dame for football. I mean, he, what, what was his response uh, after you corrected him? I mean, obviously he's probably mortified to some extent. Um, but was he uncomfortable immediately because you, do you think that he saw in himself um, prejudice that well, sort of well, see, and He goes, "Oh, I don't want to get into this conversation anymore."
1: Well, see, if if I was a white guy that was six foot six, he would have thought I played basketball. Yeah. He, oh, you went to Notre What position you play on the basketball team? You see? Yeah. And so, so I mean, it's those kinds of prejudices that I'm talking about. Um, you know where, where you're just making a preconceived notion based on not mm-hmm. anything subjective or objective without any knowledge uh of the person or any knowledge uh, of the person's experience or anything um so we all have those uh to some extent but 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 we're mm-hmm. so used to um just being uh being around other people maybe that have those same prejudices we don't stop to look at them within ourselves
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know so for example um people may know a little bit about my background in law enforcement. One of the things I did was I used to teach at the uh, police academy in Oregon, the department of public safety standards and training. Um, in fact, I was on the board that oversaw the, the operations and the training of police officers in, in the entire state of Oregon. So I'm very intimately familiar with how police officers are trained. So uh, when, a, when you do, for example, in traffic stop school, you learn how to do an effective and safe traffic stop, uh, and they teach you all the techniques to do that safely. What, what they what they mm-hmm. don't teach in the academy in, in, in general, which they don't what they don't look for, what they don't test for, is prejudi- prejudicial attitudes within the officer. So when you're teaching an officer to do a traffic stop, you know there's certain things that you're where you're supposed to look at, there's certain things you're supposed to ask, a certain way you're supposed to approach the vehicle. But if someone is prejudiced, say against people of color. You know, uh, or or something like that. They'll walk up to the car, not just with the techniques that they're being taught, but also with this attitude. Mm -hmm. You see, oh, this person's black, so I I have to make sure I'm particularly uh, careful because I'm not going to go home that night. Whereas they may walk up to someone, you know, a a a young adult, uh, maybe white female, and they won't feel as you know, they won't feel unsafe. They won't feel as, you know, oh, this is just, you know, but you can't think like that. All of them have to be, be approached the same way. So right. what, what we have to learn how to do, is, it was at the police academy level, is to recognize, uh, try to find a way uh, an exercise a system or something to, to recognize and identify those prejudices within the police officer before they go out onto the street. So one mm-hmm. of two things should happen once they identify them at the academy level. Either they learn to effectively deal with that prejudice to recognize it and to confront it and deal with it or get them out of there before they hurt somebody. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that's, right. what should be, that's what should be happening. And I think the same thing is true for ourselves. I mean, at the parish, you know, um, you know you, you don't want to go to the Hispanic mass because that's for the Hispanics. You know well no, <laughs> wait, wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> say you come say you, you get up late. And, you know, oh shoot, man, I missed my usual 10 o'clock mass. Uh, the only mass that's left is the 12 o'clock mass. Oh, but that's the Spanish mass. I'll just go to another parish. What's wrong with going to the Spanish mass? I mean, yeah. you don't speak the language, but you know what's going on. Come on. You know, I mean, and that's your parish sure. and they are your parishioners. That's part of your parish family. So see, mm-hmm. these are things we need to, we need to open ourselves to and embrace if we're really going to be a vehicle Uh, of reconciliation and mercy in the life of the church.
0: When you go to great lengths in the book, I mean, it's very well researched, but you always bring it back. It's very, very consistent throughout. It's about love. And I think you end with this. You say only love can completely transform the human person. Uh, I think that's That's a direct quote. I mean, it's, it's beautiful, but it's true. There's the love of Jesus Christ is something that is transformative. And you also point out that we need to see the imago dei in others we need to see the image of god in others that before anything else we're made in the image and likeness of god and that's not going to look a certain way it's not like god looks like me or looks like you um but we are we have this sonship in him that transcends any sort of particular characteristics Uh, yes
1: exactly right and um a couple things the, the, the title of the book is actually "A Building a Civilization of Love" is from St John Paul II. you know who was I mean, man, that was my man. I mean John yeah. Paul II I mean he he was really transformative for me um, in mm-hmm. in learning the why of what the church teaches what it teaches. You know, John Paul II filled in that why blank for me in a very powerful way, and so mm-hmm. that's actually a, a, a quote from him. Uh, building a civilization of love in, in Familiaris Consortio, um, and, and so uh, the idea of love. Um, the, the First John four sixteen God is love, right? And he who lives in love lives in God, and God lives in him. The fact that God con- condescended, came down to our level. In the person of our lord and savior jesus christ to show us the father uh to bring us deeply into a relationship of intimate personal loving and life-giving communion through a covenant relationship of love a love that's not centered on the self not not the the self-centered egotistical love of the culture but Mm -hmm. the love that's uh that gives itself away right That's, that's always looking out at what's best for the other right, is when you give yourself away in love is when you truly find yourself in God, right? So that's the kind of love I'm talking about. That's the kind of love that Dr. Martin Luther King talked about. You know, you have to think about why was he so effective here in the middle, in the midst of Jim Crow, mm-hmm. in the midst of everything that was going on at that time in the 60s. Here's this Baptist preacher <laughs> that comes onto the scene. And why was he able to uh, bring people together to, to transcend Uh, race and color and uh, religion and political ideology and liberal and conservative and Democrat and Republican. He brought all kinds of people together. And he didn't base it on a social program. He didn't base it on social construct. He didn't base it on things like reparations. He based it on the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and even though he didn't necessarily use that language, but that was the ethos that underpinned his approach to the racial mm-hmm. issue, and I said, "Man, he nailed it well, you know so that 's why I include um, parts of his nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech and letter to a birmingham jail where he where he really looks at and outlines his program for how he's, he was going to deal with this issue of race so i 'm not saying i 'm picking up the ball and 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 you know where where martin luther king left off i 'm not saying that at all, but what i 'm saying that as Catholics, we have to have that same Uh, uh, look through the same lens of the gospel and of our faith to bring true healing and reconciliation. And it starts with, as as you said, seeing the image and likeness of God in the person standing in front of us, just like mother Teresa did when she Mm -hmm. saw those poor people she worked with on, on the streets of Calcutta. She saw Jesus Christ first. And that's what we need to do as well.
0: Well, and Dr. King did not, um, he didn't do like some others in his time did some other, um, <clears throat> like uh, I know Malcolm X was very much, he was perfectly fine with violence. He used Marxist ideas. Um, and there was many others like him. Then there was some that were saying, well, let's just uh, kind of, I know we use the word transcend race and I know how you mean it, but some people go as far as to say, well, I'm, I'm colorblind. I don't see race. Well, that's, that's shenanigans. Like, yes, you do. Shut up. Um, But what Martin Luther King Jr. does that I think is so excellent. And just to echo everything you said, he founds it on Jesus Christ. He talks about race. He talks about overcoming these prejudices and these, this racism, but he also doesn't shy away from the fact that he's a black man and that he's with white men and their history. I mean, I I have a a copy of um, the I Have a Dream speech here. There's this one passage that I just absolutely love. He says, I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I mean, that's acknowledging our history. So many people want to cancel our our, cancel culture and get rid of the history, tear down the statues, forget about the past. Or, as you said, like talk about reparations and all these things and saying we need to drag up the past and push it forward as uh, something that's not overcome yet. We need to make sure we atone for all of these justices, injustices rather. I mean, I I remember seeing in 2020, especially um, groups of of white, mostly white liberals uh, bowing down before groups of black people just weeping and apologizing and i don't know what to make of that to be very, to be very honest like if when you see things like that i mean what is what would you say to somebody that's doing that
1: see that that's just that's not doing anything um i mean i i think i understand the the mentality and maybe even the spirit in which they're doing that but that's not going to solve the issue
0: that yeah. that's that's and I just that's just surface i mean i would want to overcome all the, I, like I said, I grew up in North Carolina. I grew up in the middle of nowhere in North Carolina. Like <laughs> plenty of racism. Yeah, that wasn't prejudice. I mean, I knew people whose parents were in the KKK that, mm. like, that, then. Uh, I was, I mean, talk about a culture shock. I went from this uh, elementary school, Catholic school with a bunch of people from New England and then went to a public high school in the middle of nowhere. 60% of the school was black. Um, probably 30% were white, and then 10% were, um, mostly, uh, Hispanic. And the things that I saw, it was the first time I had, I had to really grapple with any of these things cause I hadn't seen it before. And it was absolutely shocking to me, the level of inhumanity, just the things that I heard and, and witnessed. Another thing that people bring up a lot uh, is this idea of reverse racism. And so, well, I don't want to be racist, but you know, um, there's been a lot of things that I think I think black people are racist to white people is reverse racism. And I haven't heard a good response to that, uh, that sort of redirects it in a charitable way to wait to something that just doesn't become like us versus them mentality, because that's not the the idea. That's absolutely not what we're trying to go towards. But the only response that I've seen to something like that would be like a. Marxist, Hegelian sort of response of, um, well, it's 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 not racism, because, you know, racism has to be prejudice based on race plus power. Yeah. Uh, and so I've heard that response from the left. I've heard that that sort of social response. Um, but what would you say to somebody who's maybe like, uh, white conservative, they don't have a lot of black friends, they haven't interacted with a lot of people but they keep bringing up this idea of reverse racism. Uh, how would you respond to them?
1: Yeah. So, so here's the thing. W- what drives this whole racist prejudice thing in the first place is fear. Right? In First John 4, 19, John says, perfect love casts out all fear. And mm-hmm. the word uh, he uses in Greek there for perfect is teleos, which means mature and whole. So we have to have mature and whole attitude and response to fear because think about it
0: mm-hmm.
1: you, so if i'm black and i think i talk about this in the book i got to an elevator once with a, with a white yeah, woman who yeah. who backed up against the back of the elevator and grabbed her purse and like she was afraid and i was wearing a suit and a crucifix and she was still scared of me you yeah. know again and, and i mentioned that yes she may have had as, as law enforcement, former law enforcement, she, I understand she may have had PTSD because of an incident that may have happened there. She may have been attacked. She may have been assaulted or something like that. And she still has trauma being in an elevator, a uh, confined space with someone she doesn't know. I mean, I get that. So I, I get, I, I have no problem with the response of her backing up, but her grabbing her purse, you know, like, what <laughs> was I going to steal her in the middle? I mean, that's the piece But So fear. And on the other side, yeah if you're black and you walk into a situation where there's a number of people who, who are white, you must say, Oh, you know, they, they might do something to me or they might, have. there's this fear. So it's so fear is driving this whole thing. What we have to do is, is get beyond the surface. Like you said, well, I don't mm-hmm. see color. That's ridiculous. We all see color. It has the response has to be deep in that. It's not what you don't see it's what you have to learn how, what to see in that person. That's the key. Mm-hmm. So for example, People will say to me, well, you are a black Catholic. And I say, no, I'm not. I'm a Catholic who's black. What do you mean? Are you denying your black identity? I said, well, no. But What I'm saying is this. When I die and I stand before Jesus Christ to give an account for my life, he's not going to ask me how black I am. (laughs) He's going to say, did you pick up your cross and follow me? even when it was Mm -hmm. hard, even when people ridiculed you and they mocked you because you refused to cave into the redefinition of marriage and gender and all the social constructs and all the moral relativism in that culture. Did you cave in and capitulate and go with the flow? You know, like, like right now it's, we're getting a lot of rain in Oregon. The rivers are running. You So know what I noticed, will dead things go down the river, dead things go with the flow. You know, we Mm -hmm. have to be the salmon, Mm -hmm. the salmon fight upstream against the flow for one purpose only to lay their eggs, to bring life. So we have to be the salmon. So Jesus is going to say, I gave you talent, deacon. I gave you fatherhood. I gave you husbandhood. I gave you the diaconate. Where's my 50-fold, 100-fold return on the investment I made in you? That's what he's going to ask. So my identity is not in my race. It's not who I have sex with. It's not my racial ethnicity. It's none of that. My identity is a divine Identity as an adopted son of the living God, uh, who who is in a deep, intimate relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Word that became flesh, who dwelt among us, who is our brother, who died for my sins—that is my identity. It's a divine identity, and and once we see that divine identity in the person standing in front of us, now we're able to appreciate all the accoutrement that goes along with that person's particular identity in Christ, their color, their race, their music, their language. I was born in Barbados. Like I mentioned, I'm an immigrant. I mm-hmm. I still love my music. I still love our food. I still love our culture. I still speak our dialect. Um, I love everything about being black. I thank God every day that I'm black, but that is not my identity that is the problem. People are, mm-hmm. are are self-identifying with whatever the cultural construct they happen to align themselves with, a political party, a gender, a race, whatever it is. And we have to – that's my point in the book. Black, white – we have to, beyond that, to look at the divine identity of that person. That's why I talked about the Amago dei, seeing that mm-hmm. first and then responding from that. That will get, get us past all the – the, uh, the surface things that you're talking about, this reverse racism, all that will go away once we start seeing people that way.
0: Awesome. Yeah, just bringing it back to first principles and saying, look, no, let's focus on this. Well, and that brings up uh, another thing that you said in the book. You said uh, the church is one and diverse. She's one because she's the single body of Christ. She's diverse because she's made up of every culture, people, race, and ethnicity, the church supports diversity because she is essentially universal without being uniform. And I, I love that. I love that so much. Not just uh, even before um, bringing up the question of race. I mean, this is something that I, I spoke with my friend Simone on the podcast uh, recently about. There's 24 Eastern rites of the Catholic Church. There's the West. There's the Latin rite. There's all these different religious orders with all their different peculiarities I mean, when I, when I share that with Protestants, it, it blows their mind. They're like, wait, and I can see the the wheels turning. We didn't have to leave the church to have our particular way of living. They're like, no, you don't. Come back. Um, but it's the same sort of thing, this idea of because some some today in the culture will say, well, diversity is our strength. And they just sort of leave it that it's always got to be about power. It's always in these power dynamics. But the way that you put it here. The church supports diversity because she's essentially universal without being uniform. I mean, that that's it. But primarily that begins, like you say, with the Imago Dei, we are sons and daughters of God in baptism. And then everything else flows from that. Our our universal vocation to holiness first, and then our particular vocation, whether it be to be a husband, father, um, a deacon, whatever that might be. And then a, a, a more particular vocation, lowercase V of what we might do like a job and these sorts of things. So in that sort of structure, we have all these other things about us. I mean, mine isn't racial. I I was born in Canada. I mean, if you look in the encyclopedia next to white person, it it would be me. I mean, I'm (laughs) British. I did that DNA thing. I am 79% English and 21% Irish. Like there's nothing else. That's crazy white. I don't know how to embrace my whiteness, but like, um, but I, I will say, you know, what's interesting is I've never been to the United Kingdom. I've never stepped foot in England. But the draw of it, like even English history, uh, English culture, like it pulls me in and I can't explain it. So there's something there. I mean, there's something beautiful in that. And it's like, you don't have to like English hymns from the 1800s, but dang it, I do. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting how God uses all these different particularities and they don't have to be in competition. They shouldn't be in competition in a very exactly. real sense. But you know,
1: cause th- think about, it. You, you said some very wonderful things there. Will. let, let me, let, let me, let me approach it this way. Um, I've been to 31 countries speaking and, um, you know, and, and I'm uh, mostly in the United States when I speak, I am just going to be real. It's to white people. I mean, yeah. the vast majority of the people I speak to in in many parishes, conferences, retreats all throughout the United States are not black. I'm just just be real. OK, um, when I go overseas, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in Asia, again, v- different audiences. But I was in Papua New Guinea uh, in, in 2023. And it was uh, and there were thousands of people that came to the talks, Will, and, to, and they were all black. And to see. People that look like me hmm. out there, you know, hearing the gospel. And you know, if there was so much race and presence in the church, how come I'm so busy, Will? I get invitations to speak every single day of the year. I travel 250,000 miles a year, and, and and most of the people I speak to are white. I'm just let's be real, you know. And why are they bringing me in over and over? Some places I've been to three, four times. <laughs> why? Oh, cause they're racist. They don't know because they recognize that this person is speaking the truth of Jesus Christ, no matter what color he is, he's bringing mm-hmm. the truth. He's helped us to make that connection between our faith and our everyday lived experience. You know, so sacraments actually mean something now because I see the nexus between sacraments and how I live my faith every day in the world. That's what they mm-hmm. want to hear. They want to hear truth they want to hear beauty they want to hear goodness they want to hear how the truth sets them free to become the person who god created them to be and that's that and, and and people are that's what they're attracted to and that's why they bring me out if there was all this racist 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 i'd be sitting at home probably doing something else for a living <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: come on you know this is uh this this is this is and this is my point you know um and it works the other way around too i mean i know black parishes that bring in white speakers you know, mm-hmm. like Fanick and other guys, like, they'll bring them because they love the message, regardless yeah. of the person's colors, the message, that's what should matter.
0: Well, there's a, there's one point that you say, oh, how we overcome racism. You say overcoming racism must be a work of the spirit with an eschatology directed toward heaven, not earth. And so... I know we have a limited amount of time. I don't want you to have to rehash everything you put in the book. Like everyone listening, just go, go buy the book and read it. But critical race theory, liberation theology, Black Lives Matter. They don't have an eschatology directed towards heaven. It's directed towards earth. It's very material in a lot of different ways and for particular ways. But two questions. First, why did you choose these three? I'm sure there was others you could have chosen. So why these three? And then the second is uh, there was another point in the book where you talk about how you didn't want to talk about Black Lives Matter at first. You were like, "Ah, forget these people. I'm not even going to spend my time." Oh, there. And then yes, you said my you, attitude you changed Black- your yes. mind. Yeah, yes, no, so not writing about it, my,
1: my my attitude toward, Yes, yes. Yeah. The great, great questions, Will. Great questions. So the reason why I included them was this because it was when I was researching the book. I saw that there were Catholic parishes, Catholic schools, other Catholic institutions that said the way we need to deal with this issue is bring in critical race theory to embrace Mm. liberation theology and to uh, uh, incorporate the black lives matter movement philosophy into what we're doing. And I said, now, when I first heard that, I'm like, Ooh, that don't sound right. But I said, you know what? And this is my attitude. I thought, you know what? What do I really know? Now, liberation theology, I did know something about because I wrote a paper in graduate school. But the mm-hmm. other two, I said, you know what? I keep people, people keep saying Black Lives Matter movement is bad. People keep saying critical race theory is bad. You know what? I don't know a whole lot about them. Let me find out for myself. Because you know what? In, in, in the spirit of fairness, maybe there is something there that mm-hmm. we can use as Catholics. Uh, Instead of just poo-pooing them and shooing them, wait a minute, maybe they have something to say that we can incorporate. Because let me be fair. So I went and bought the books of the people who founded Critical Race Theory. Um, Mm -hmm. Derek Bell, Richard Delgado, Janice DeFatic, Kimberly Crenshaw. And I read what they had to say Critical Race Theory is. And so when I started looking at the basic tenets of Critical Race Theory, I said, oh, my goodness, this is completely incompatible with the Catholic faith (laughs) not because I'm attacking critical race theory because of what they say of themselves about what it is and I couldn't find any yeah Yeah, the philosophical stance and their approach in fact Derek Bell even says that that our approach as Christians is useless so then why do we want to incorporate this into the into the life of the church same the Black Lives Matter movement you know the the Black Lives Matter, we have to embrace Black Lives Matter. No, there's nothing wrong with the words Black Lives Matter. Nothing wrong at all. Um, In fact, I would even push back against people who say, well, it it shouldn't be Black Lives Matter because all lives matter. You know, when when, when people say Black Lives Matter, when I hear that, what I hear is here is an entire race of people who, at least in the history of the United States, uh, did not have a voice, were not heard were not even thought of as human beings in a Dred Scott versus John F. Sanford Supreme Court decision, which I quote at length in the book uh, to just show the understanding uh, of what this country was toward people of color. And, and so, so now you have okay, we just hey, we want our voices to be heard, you know. Now this is the time for us you know because of Jim Crow and everything. We we our voices listen to what we have to say. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing even wrong with peaceful protesting. You know, that's because that's Martin Luther King. That's what Gandhi did. Peaceful protests.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, The problem is it was hijacked by the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. That's where the problem came in, because if you look at the basic tenets of the BLM, uh, it's all about it's as really it's a race is a Trojan horse. The Trojan horse is racism on the outside, but inside is an entire agenda to destroy the nuclear family. That's a very Mm -hmm. strong statement. But if you look in the book, I show exactly what was posted in the about section on their website that shows their entire agenda of what BLM is all about. Um, and it's and you look at this, how many times they use transgender. Uh, we're working against cisgender privilege and all these other things. I'm like, oh, my
0: goodness. And again, well, when I read it in 2020, when it was still live. So, I mean, it's it's in the book, I know. But like they've tried to scrub that. See, um, and I knew they I would. So when it. I was
1: researching the book, I said, I'm going to screenshot this. I'm going I'm to keep this different place on my drive because when people find out what they're really about, they're going to take it down. And that's what mm-hmm. they did. But not before <laughs> uh, I was able to, to, to capture all of that. So because you know, know what that'd be like? Well, people say, well, why are you still writing about they took it down? You know what that will? That would be like Planned Parenthood said, well, OK, the, our website says we don't do abortions. They could take it down. Does it, that means they're going to stop doing abortions. Nope. And it's the same thing here.
0: Well, and on that point, I don't want to go too deeply into it, Um, but I do want to bring it up because it's in the book and it was absolutely staggering to me. But before I get to that, one other thought on, uh, you, you mentioned the Dred Scott decision. It's like, I didn't know. I taught us history. I did not know that chief justice Taney was Catholic. Yeah. I mean, you added that in the book and I was like, "Oh, come on." <laughs> Terrible Insult anyway, to anyway. injury. Yeah. <laughs> it was just awful. But you you write this, you you were talking you uh quote Bishop Braxton, but I looked up the quote uh, the statistics and it's true. For every 1,000 live births, there were 483 abortions for black women. Highest abortion rate of any racial or ethnic group. I mean, that that was staggering to me absolutely staggering to me. And uh, like, I know I've heard about um, Margaret Sanger and some of the eugenics past of Planned Parenthood and how it began. Um, But this isn't, this isn't history. This is current. This is present day. This was a a recent statistic. I mean, these, uh, these clinics are being put strategically. That's not a conspiracy theory, right?
1: No, Margaret Sanger was a racist and a eugenicist, point blank. Um uh you know, I, I don't share too much because I wrote the the book on I wrote on Father Augustus Tolton. I I quote more from her mm. in that book so I didn't want to repeat that in this book. But sure. um people can go and look. I mean, go to the Library of Congress. There's a Margaret Sanger collection. You can see what she says in her own words yeah, about it's, wanting it's to eliminate the 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 uh uh the Negro population, exterminate the Negro population. Come on. But here's, here's what I challenge. That part of the book, Will, I'm challenging our, uh, my, my people, people of color, Black, Hispanic, you know, we have to push back um, uh, 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 and look within ourselves, look within ourselves, not just say, all these people treated us bad. We're racist. That, okay, that may be true, but we also have to look at ourselves. Why are we claiming race, race, race? We're killing our own children. We're we're destroying our own future. We, we got these hip hop songs. We're calling our women who were queens. And remember, in uh, First Kings, the Sheba came to Samuel with the retu with the retuine of gold and silver and dromedaries and camels and all this wealth. So the I mean, the our our people were kings and queens on the continent of Africa. You know, we were royalty. And, and but now we, we call our women, you know, B word and whores and all this stuff and we're killing our own children. So I mean so part of what I do is I challenge Uh, the people of color say, "Hey, wait a minute. If people, if we want people to respect us, we have to first respect ourselves. What about our, where are our husbands and fathers? Why do most black men who are in prison have no fathers? Where, Hmm. where, where's the nuclear family? Where's the domestic church? This is why the Catholic church has the answers. You know, Um, why am I afraid to walk in the neighborhoods with people that look like me? I mean, why should I be afraid of my own people? See so, so and a lot of people not gonna not gonna like that but that is true. And I, mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do cuz I love like I said I love being black. I want to challenge people of color to look within ourselves and to to bring that healing and reconciliation, not keep listening to the culture to go if we if, you know it's not enough to give our kids African names and and all that kind of stuff. Let's go back and I talk about this in the book. I look at what is some of the roots of African spirituality. It's about family. It's about community. It's about wholeness. It's about, right? And mm-hmm. we've lost that. We, we need, so let's, I think the Catholic Church is the best of, of what that's, of, of what spirituality has to offer when it comes to this issue of race. So the more we embrace our faith, the, the more we can bring healing into our communities.
0: Well, and you mentioned, uh, Again, I just want to tie a bow on that one uh, about people of color versus African-Americans versus black with that terminology. Yeah. um, Why do you prefer people of color versus African-American?
1: Because African-Americans is not inclusive enough. Um, Mm. So, for example, if someone calls me, you're African-American. I was born in Barbados. So why why are you denying my, my Caribbean heritage? I remember, yeah. I remember once I was with a friend and someone called him African. American. He's from Africa. He's from Nigeria. He goes, I'm not African-American. I'm, I'm African-African. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so, look, because we, 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 we have to come up with these terms because we're afraid to say black. We're afraid to say white. We're afraid to say Hispanic. We're afraid to say Mexican or, Mex- or, or, or uh, uh, Asian. You know, because we have to, oh, I have, I have to come African-American. That's more politically correct. And, you know, but, but I, I just don't think the term, that's just my personal opinion, not the church teaching. Not, it's just my personal opinion. Sure. I don't think yeah. it's inclusive enough when you're mm-hmm. looking at people from Cuba, from South America, from other places that are dark skinned. I think black covers everybody. It's just simple and it's not offensive.
0: Well, and it also is strategically like if you're speaking with people who aren't Catholic or someone who's maybe even antithetical to the faith in some way, <clears throat> being able to have a more inclusive term is not some sort of politically correct thing. It's just a good practice. I mean, it, it's that's not a hill I'm willing to die on. Hopefully no one else is either. Um, <clears throat> you also get into some practicals. And I. I want to at least mention them because I think they're so powerful. And I had a couple just quick questions on them. So the five steps, and I'll just read them. You said, here are five steps, five five specific steps that Catholics can take, both laypersons and clergy working together to accomplish this goal of of transcending race and overcoming prejudice. Number one, see past stereotypes and see people. We've talked about that. Number two, appreciate the gift of cultural diversity. We've talked about that. Um, promote conversation and dialogue Four, put God back into society and five pray constantly. And you go through these different ideas and some of it's super practical, like hosting potlucks, man. I I love potlucks. I'm from North Carolina. We're, we're all about the potlucks. Hospitality is huge. You get some food and some people together. It's going to be a good time. Um, But you know what I, I, and this is where I think something, like this book is hopefully going to be received so well in the South because I think it'll give Catholics who want to be part of the solution rather than the problem, some practicals to actually be able to put this into action without really doing a whole lot. I mean, it's hosting a potluck. And like you say in here, uh, you can invite Catholics of color from neighboring parishes. Well, here's the thing in North Carolina, where I grew up, we had two parishes I never even went to the other parish. I didn't even know it existed until I was a teenager. We're, we were in Baptist country. Like that was mission territory. And I had black friends who they were like, well, I can't become Catholic. That's a white people religion. Yeah. I'm like, y- y'all, come on. No, it's that's not. That's a prejudice. Yep. But it's, but that's so easy to overcome as soon as you understand how big the church is, as soon as you see how universal it is. Um, I know that's not as much of an issue like, say, in the Deep South, uh, like in places like Louisiana and others, they got other issues, but uh, lots of black priests there. And it's a beautiful thing. But for for somewhere like um, in Arizona, where I am, we go to I go to a parish that I I think is predominantly Latino. And that's just because predominantly Hispanics live here. Um, The school I teach at is, uh, I think, around 70 percent are um are Mexican like specifically wow. they're from Mexico, so like it's a that's an interesting sort of dynamic all on its own, but like we have we do it right for our lady of Guadalupe, like we have parties, we have like bandas come out and play like the whole thing, and nobody stops to say, "Hey, hey, excuse me, you're white, can you please stop partying with this mariachi <laughs> like so I feel like we're doing something here that that uh, hopefully will take root elsewhere. Um, But I know, I mean, having come from North Carolina, I know know the history is deep. Uh, And like I said, some of these um, racists that like true racists that I um, interacted with, that it's going to take a couple of generations, but I will say that their kids were far less prejudiced than they were. Uh, So I do see some sort of motion, at least in a lot of places. But one question I did have is for somewhere that doesn't have a lot of people of color, they like say it's just a like middle of Nebraska. I've never been to Nebraska. I'm assuming it's all white people and corn. <laughs> um, one of my friends is from Nebraska. He's going to watch this and be like, Hey, watch it. Um, but how do, how does this not turn into tokenism or virtue signaling? Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I think a couple couple easy things. We can't do the potluck. There's no people of color around. There's a couple things you can do. One of them is, for example, um, in Catholic schools, they should be studying the saints, right? Well, it sh- it shouldn't be all Saint Francis of Assisi or Saint Catherine Siena, who are amazing saints who I love. But what about Saint Josephine mm-hmm. Uh What What about Moses the Black? What about uh, Juan Diego? What about, what about the, uh, the saints of color? And, and I know we have, um, you know, we have Black Catholic History Month, which is November, you know, and I agree with Morgan Freeman. My history should not be relegated to a month, you know, um, but I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's good in the sense that it's a launching point. It's a starting point for at least people are looking at saints of different colors um, in the church but to purposely incorporate them and learning Mm -hmm. about them and their stories into the curriculum as these kids are learning about saints. They're not just learning about European saints. They're learning about the the incredible rich diversity of the saints, the the Ugandan martyrs, the the Korean martyrs, St. Paul Tegan, uh, and and those uh, martyrs who died in Korea, the Japanese martyrs. You know, I mean, there's so, there's such an incredible rich diversity um, Mm -hmm. that should be part of the curriculum. And second, what about inside the church? Putting up, I mentioned this in the book, putting up pictures of saints yeah, of color in the idea. church. So imagine a, a five-year-old walking with her dad. And this five-year-old has never seen a black saint before. Or maybe they have even a black Catholic because they go into church that don't have any. And they walk and they see Josephine Bikita. She, she looks up, daddy, who's that? Well, that's Josephine Bikita. She's a saint? Yes, and here's a little bit about her story. And now this child is looking at a black person Who's a saint in the church, someone that we revere, someone that we look Mm. up to, someone that we can ask their intercession to Jesus. Now, how is she going to form her opinion about people of color? (laughs) You see? Yeah, we're putting a different now instead of instead of being formed by television and and, and, uh, and movies. She's now being formed by images she's seeing in her own church where she goes to worship God every week. You see that little things like that, I think, make a big difference.
0: Well, and and when you, I've had you out to, uh, when I worked at a parish, we had you out a couple times, and you met a a couple of our priests from Nigeria, and uh, I always talk to, especially when I'm talking to people uh, who I knew from the South who were prejudiced, and they're like, well, you know, Catholicism is a white religion, and uh, I'm like, I confess my sins to a black man, like, (laughs) once a week. I have no problem with this because all I see is Jesus, and Amen. it's all good. Amen. Amen. Um, yeah. So I was like, "Yeah, Father, I don't, I don't see you. I see G. Like in mass. Yes. Same thing. That's why they put on the vestments. Um, and it's it. I think it. Man, the Catholic faith is absolutely the best way um, forward. For everyone, for everything, but especially see, for this issue of race. I mean, you're see, right. he
1: Will, that's exactly why I make that statement because you you hit the nail on the head. You know, unfortunately, I'm not, not not saying that the Protestant churches aren't bad, but let's be real. A lot of them have become chameleons. They've capitulated to the culture and they freely incorporated a lot of these things that we talked about as uh, cultural solutions, a cultural, mm-hmm. uh, um. Uh, constructs into their worship system. And we don't do that as Catholics. We stay focused on on Jesus Christ and the gospel. And that's why we can have priests from my diocese too. In fact, my parish is run by uh, not just uh, uh, the pastors uh, 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 from Tanzania. His order supplies priests to our parish. (laughs) So my parish is not in the normal rotation of, you know, maybe six years and another six years and then move on to another parish. We're we're Mm -hmm. completely supplied by this um, missionary order of of priests from Tanzania, you know, and and we've had some wonderful priests, uh, uh, in in our parish helping us to bring Jesus to us in the sacraments, to bring healing, Jesus' mission to the sacrament of reconciliation, to go to literally go out and and we, we have we have alongside of our church, although it's been dealt with now, we had drug dealing, and prostitution right along the side of the church, and to go hmm. out there with the pastor to minister to those people. Uh, It's a beautiful thing. So it has nothing to do with color. It's all about the gospel and following Jesus.
0: Well, and just to echo something you said earlier, I mean, I, I, when I was growing up, I wanted to go to my friend's church and uh, it was a black Baptist church. And they were like, nah, man, you can't do that. I'm like, I just want to come see, like, am I not allowed to come to a Baptist service? And they're like, no, you can there's plenty of churches you can go to, but you can't come to this one because they just won't like it. I'm like, mm. well, that's kind of messed up. Um, and it stuck with me. I was like, that doesn't seem right. But well, like you know, were saying, you, go to the Spanish Mass or something. I was in yeah, Orange County. Yeah, you know County. where that
1: comes from, Will, though? Uh, where mm-hmm. that comes from? Because back in the day, um, at least for the Catholics, uh, mm-hmm. and I mentioned this in the book, even in my parish, Immaculate Heart, which is a, a traditionally German and Irish parish yeah, during mm-hmm. World War II, when a lot of uh, ca- black Catholics came up from the South to work in the shipyards during World War II, my parish was the closest parish to the shipyards. And so they would come up the walk up the hill from the river to Immaculate Heart and they had to sit in the back of the church. They had to sit in the choir mm. loft. Some, some, yeah. not my parish, but some parishes didn't even allow them to come into worship. And they're supposed to be Catholics. Why are we following Jim Crow and the secular law instead of following the law of Jesus Christ? Same thing in the Protestant world. So, what they did, yeah. which we can't readily do in the Catholic Church, but in the Protestant Church, they started their own churches. They won't allow us to worship, but we're going to worship ourselves. So that's where. So now, when a yeah, white person sense. comes in, what are you doing here? Go to your church. Yeah. You know, but again, these are institutional memories of things that happened in the past, and we we can't become slaves to the past. You know, will the past helps shape us into the people that we are today? But the past should not determine our future. A deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, immersing ourselves deeply into the gospels, into the Beatitudes, um, into uh, everything that Jesus taught love your enemies and pray for them, love God and your neighbor ourselves, all the things that Jesus taught, that should be the way forward.
0: Amen. I mean, I I think that's as good a place to end as any. I know that we're up against our time, but uh, I really appreciate you coming on, Deacon. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for this book. It's, again, so well researched, really well argued, and just focused on Jesus Christ as everything you do is. So thank you for that. Thank you for your service to the church. And uh, thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah, thank you, Will. And thank you for your podcast. And yeah, I know when last time we were together, you were talking about you know, doing a podcast and stuff. And so it's, it's so good. I've been, I've been, and I, and I have you, I'm subscribed by the way, <laughs> and I hope everybody else listening subscribe too. Nice. And I, and I keep yes. up with whenever you put a new podcast on, I always get that bell. And I always, Oh, what's Will talking about today? So great content, man. You're doing some, some phenomenal work.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Deacon. If those, if you wanted to subscribe, go to gooddistinctions.com. Uh, Deacon, where can people find you? I obviously the book is through Ignatius press. Building a civilization of love, a Catholic response to racism. Uh, but other than the book, I mean, anything you want to plug?
1: Uh well, I have a new radio show starting on EWTN in um, uh, very soon. It's called Beacon of Truth with uh, Deacon mm-hmm. Harold Burke Sivers. Um, you know, and and uh, I have some other things come up that I'm a little premature to talk about now, but they're all exciting. And uh, you know, God has God has been so good, and uh, and and it's great to have wonderful uh friends like you will um where we can we can come together and collaborate like this and and help people to really understand the power of cooperating with the grace of the sacraments and what god could do in your life where you're not afraid to say yes
0: amen well thanks for coming on and thanks for the collab and uh anytime and anything you want to send my way i'll send it out to everybody um but thanks, thanks a lot thanks can... well god bless you you too